Welcome to the How to Love Yourself No Matter What podcast. My name is Amanda Hess, and I am a certified life coach. If you are like me, you know that self-love is important. But did you know that it's the number one thing missing when it comes to creating a life you love? Listen in, friend. I'm going to share all my secrets because you deserve to love yourself starting now. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode. Today, I have a special guest, and her name is Tanessa Shears. She is a health consultant. I have known Tanessa now for, I'm not even sure, a little less than a year. And uh, we met through a mastermind that we were both in, but we weren't together in the mastermind. And then we connected for a mastermind that was sort of this unpaid mastermind that we were all in together, where we all connected. And I connected with her, and I am just so interested in her message. And I really believe that no matter who's listening today, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're, you know, a worker, whether you're just, you know, not even working right now and you're at home with your kids, whatever your life situation is, I just want you to know what Tanessa is going to be sharing today is super, super applicable. But I know that a lot of um, my clients come to me talking to me about their lack of energy, talking to me about their diet, about, you know, feeling like they're addicted to sugar and that they can't sleep at night and all of these things. And Tanessa really specializes in this. So, I'm so, so excited that she said yes and decided to come on my podcast. So hi, Tanessa. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Amanda. I'm excited to have this conversation today. Thank you for having me. It's amazing that you're here. So maybe just we can start by you telling us a little bit, a little bit about you and a little bit about what you do. Yeah. So I am Tanessa and I am a mama. I have a two-year-old right now and I am very pregnant with another baby on the way. Um, What I do in my work is I act as a health consultant and I do work primarily with entrepreneurs. So for example, the type of person that I usually find in my world and gets a lot of value is you wake up and you feel groggy first thing in the morning. And you're just like, oh my gosh, my eyelids feel like cement. You struggle to get out of bed and brain fog sets in. So you're thinking like, oh my gosh, I can't remember things. Everything feels a little overwhelming. My thinking feels clunky and cloudy. I'm kind of feeling distracted. And when you go to sit down and do your work, I mean, it's just ineffective and you're not feeling like you have the energy that you need. Maybe it crashes mid-afternoon. And by the time you get done with the end of your day, whether that's honestly putting the kids to bed, making dinner, taking the dog for a walk, doing your evening errands, you're just so exhausted that you collapse onto the couch and you lose yourself in Netflix while also having your phone in your hand, scrolling Instagram, also checking your email again. And it literally feels like your energy just doesn't support all the fun things you'd rather be doing with your life or the things you would love to be doing like projects outside your business. So that's what I do is I work with these entrepreneurs to help them optimize their brain. And I do that through quality sleep, looking at what we're eating and how it's affecting our energy levels, movement, and then just stress management and then systematically optimizing it so that our brain works at full capacity. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Who doesn't need that? Like, honestly, as you were talking about you sort of your typical day, I was thinking, yes, I know what that feels like. I've definitely been there. I've caught myself in that. And I think it's so interesting because I think that when I'm speaking to my clients and speaking to people that sign up for many sessions in the whole nine yards, a lot of times what we do is we look at that happening and we think, well, the problem is I scroll my phone too much. Or like the problem is, you know, Netflix. But 
that's not really fully what the problem is, right? Like there's a lot more involved than just like having the willpower to shut off your phone. Oh yeah. I completely agree with you. We like to look at those things and be like, well, that's why I have no energy. But I often like to think that there are so many factors that we are doing even the night before or the morning of that are setting ourselves up for a day of being what I call human doings. (laughs) Like it's literally like one task to the next task to the next task. And we forget to be human beings and to feel and to be, and to experience our lives. And that even goes to things like moving your body, to feeding yourself nutritious food, you know, to waking up feeling well-rested, having really good sleep. That, that being a human being is what happens when we forget to slow down and really take care of ourselves. And our health is always the first thing to go on the back burner. And what that just manifests in is low energy. And then all we have the capacity to do is watch Netflix and scroll our phone. So it's not like that's the cause, it's that's the result. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit more about taking rest because I know for a fact that there is yet to be a person I've coached that's good at taking rest. So tell me more about that. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Rest can come in a couple different forms. Like there's the obvious form that we all think about, which is getting high quality sleep and getting enough of it. And then there is also mini rest breaks during the day, that restorative time and those gaps between all of the activities we have on our to-do list and all of the things we want to do. And I think it's really taking time to slow down and be like, what am I, how am I feeling right now? Like what is going on during the day? And instead of, you know, running our days, you know, back to back to back, I always like to like, make sure, did I have time to read a little bit today? And I think when it comes down to that, one of the biggest things that we struggle with, and I know a lot of my clients struggle with is the guilt behind taking a break. And so many of my clients say, well, in my family, my mom always told me if I was you know, laying around on the couch, then I was lazy. And I have another client that I'm working with right now is we're trying to separate out the value of herself and being productive. And if she's not productive, then she doesn't value herself as much. So we're really looking at rest as one of those things that contributes to us mm-hmm. feeling good and energized and being the people we want to show up as, or the entrepreneurs we want to show up as, or the parents we want to show up as, right? And really understanding that that guilt is just created a lot of the time based on the beliefs that we've carried forward <laughs> unintentionally that are sabotaging our ability to feel good in our life now. Yeah. You know, there's like definitely a patriarchal story with respect to productivity being tied to our worth, right? And it's so true. I think it's one of the hardest things to unwind for a lot of working women in particular, but even stay-at-home moms. Like what I see is this idea and sort of the same as your mom saying to you, like, you know, my mom used to say to me, yeah, like she would read and my mom would rest. And it's super interesting to me when I look back, because even as I'm like recounting this, it's super interesting because my mom definitely rested. I mean, she did needlework. She did petty point. She, that was rest for her. And she read novels all the time. And she'd always have like country music going. And, you know, my mom did actually take rest, but what my mom didn't do was like lay in bed and watch Netflix. So, I mean, partially because it didn't exist, let's be honest, but she did have like her soap, like she watched like one show or whatever. But what I think is so interesting as I think about it is I know that my mom just didn't, she didn't appreciate being, seeing idleness, like, and also somebody complaining that they were bored. But somehow I took in that message that you have to work all the time, even though she didn't. And it's very fascinating to me as I'm like telling this to you, I was trying to make this point and I'm like, oh, that's so weird. My mom actually did rest. Yeah. And you know what? 
you know what the interesting thing is when you're describing that to me, that the method she used to create the rest were all things that could create that feeling of being refreshed and restorative. And what I find often with my clients is they'll just be like, I'm so exhausted all the time. I have no energy. And then we look what they're doing in their time. And it's not creating that experience of feeling refreshed and restored, meaning they'll watch a whole bunch of TV or they'll zone out on their phone and they just won't get that feeling thereafter. So what ends up happening is they're like one more episode because I just deserve it. I don't feel refreshed or I don't feel the way I expected to feel from my downtime. So we end up skipping past bedtime and staying up just to watch another episode Mm -hmm. or we stay up on our phones an hour past when we actually wanted to be asleep all because we're not feeling the way we want to feel from our recovery activities. So one of the things I always love to explore is like, what are the acts? What is the feeling you want to feel from your downtime? First of all, and usually it's some variation of, I want to feel refreshed or I want to feel restored. And then what are the activities that actually give you that? And then do those Because maybe with your mom, the needlework and stuff like that, that really just restored her energy. And it gave her that sense of solitude where she, there was the absence of all the other inputs and ideas from other people's heads all the time. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It was just her with her thoughts and her with her feelings in her quiet time. And that gave her that. And when I feel like you truly get that, you don't need like hours at the end of the day to zone out on TV. If 45 minutes is so potent that you're just like, that was amazing. Now it's time for sleep. Yes. I so agree with you. And somebody was telling me the other day that women, actually, there's been research that women meditate differently than men. Was it you? Somebody was telling me this. Oh, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. It was fascinating. And she was saying that there's actually research to support that the way that women actually meditate is by things like crafting and doing like mm-hmm. If you think about how women like have done that in the past, there's, you know, crafts, pottery, needlework, all of these things. And they're very repetitive, knitting, crocheting, right? Whatever. And then, you know, when you're doing that, it's a meditative thing. And in that, you're very focused on the task. So Mm. your whole brain is now involved in that task. And so it can be so refreshing. Whereas like sitting down on a meditation pillow and being like, okay, I'm going to sit here with my thoughts. When your thoughts seem kind of terrifying, you're like, I don't want to think these thoughts. Yes. You know, what's interesting. I've like, I'm very aware of a lot of the benefits of meditation and all that, especially in the work that I do, but I've never actually bonded with it the way that a lot of other people in my industry have, because I have found that that same experience. So what you, uh, it's funny, what you're describing is what I'm familiar with is called movement meditation. It is that repetitive motion that gets you into that trance-like state. And I find that I get that on the spin bike because it's just so repetitive. And I often find, yeah, it's that, or going for a walk. It's just something where you don't have to think there's something repetitive and movement going on. And it just lets you focus inward instead of on all the stimuli going outward. But the other thing I was going to touch on that you, you had said about us needing to be productive all the time and the patriarchy in that we are brought up to follow the 24-hour male hormone pattern when it comes to being productive, meaning the natural for, for males, natural testosterone rise in the morning, followed by, you know, the socializing in the afternoon, which is meetings and the productivity and the downtime in the evening. But as women, our hormones actually function entirely differently. Our hormone cycles last 28 to 32 days on average, where men's last 24. 
So we need to be taking into account that we're not meant to be productive all the time. And we are actually meant to rest more during certain weeks in our cycle. And a great one is like the last couple of days before your cycle starts or when your cycle starts, like our hormones require more rest. The way we move our bodies is different. The way we eat is different and honoring that and coming at it from a sense of compassion. Like I know during the week of my cycle, I schedule a whole extra day off because I know that I need that extra recovery. And I think developing that compassion with myself has let me really embrace rest as opposed to resisting it as something that's making me less productive. Yes. Oh my gosh. That's so amazing. And I'm so glad you brought that up because it's something I've really noticed for myself because I'm perimenopausal, right? And so I notice. I noticed that it was like five to seven days before my period would hit, I was really emotionally reactive, number one. And also I was like exhausted and really just didn't feel well. And I've really learned. And I think that when you work from home as an entrepreneur, you can have this experience of giving yourself permission to do that. So I've really learned, like, sometimes I just lie down. Like I just go to my, my bed's just down the hall. Like, I just go lay down in it. It's fine. There's nobody here telling me I can't do that. <laughs> yes. Isn't that, isn't it amazing? That's what I found during my whole first trimester of this pregnancy. I was like, no, I'm taking all of this stuff off the plate right now because I need more naps. <laughs> yes. But I agree with you too. Like, it's like working with your body and where you're at. And I think it's not even just only the hormonal aspect of that. It's also understanding that the way that women approach the world emotionally is very different from men. And, you know, how we experience the world is very different. And so understanding that there are so many things that happen to us throughout our life, and it can really um, change how you're experiencing your world in that moment. And we have circumstantial things that happen that really change it. And what I find even with, you know, my clients is they'll have been They'll have gone through this very traumatic event, like maybe a death in the family or, or, you know, a child that has suddenly been diagnosed with a, with an illness and they expect to just keep plugging on. Like they should just still be able to get up at 5am, work out, go and work your job, make dinner. Like this should be like how it's supposed to be. And I'm like, but what if it's not supposed to be like that at all? Right. Yeah. What if there's supposed to be some time built in there Yeah, to recover? Like you're allowed to take care of yourself and be nice to yourself and be like, hey, you know what? I'm not okay. I'm actually not okay. And I need help. And I think that probably what happens with you and your business and certainly with me and my business is by the time you come to me, you're, you're going to need some help figuring that out, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what the funny thing is, is whenever we get into those spaces in our lives where we are dealing with things that feel very big, honestly, whether it is your family or with your business or whatever like that, the first thing to go is always sleep. It's fascinating. It's just like, well, this thing is taking space in my life. And so now I need to pull time from somewhere else to, you know, hold up everyone else or to get all this extra stuff done. And sleep is always where it comes from first. And you know what the interesting thing you said about um, us not being able to process our emotions the same way, specifically when we're sleeping, our brain goes through different phases of sleep. And just to simplify it, you have deep sleep, you have light sleep and you dream. And specifically um, research has shown that when we dream, we build up our, our, ability to manage our emotions. So when we do not get enough time each night spent dreaming, our brain is unable to 
to handle all the negative emotions or positive emotions that come that way. And they feel much more overwhelming and they feel like anxiety is so much more prevalent. And we lose that ability to respond in a way that honestly feels good to us because everything feels so heightened. And I'm working with a client right now and because of just some big moves he's doing and a lot of big events in his life right now, he has been sleeping less and I have been watching his sleep scores and he's been getting less time spent in REM sleep dreaming. And we have been able to correlate the decrease in dream sleep so closely with anxiety, overwhelm, pressure, needing to control everything, fear of uncertainty, unwillingness just to let overwhelm be there while still getting stuff done. And instead he's like, I just feel like I want to hide. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting. So one of the things we've been working on is really protecting that dream sleep so that he can get that emotional control back. Yeah. It's so fascinating. And I was saying to him, like, as much as it feels like you need the time that you should, you should be asleep to get everything done. It is making everything take so much longer and feel so, like so much more magnified in its intensity than if you got your sleep and then got up and started at a regular time of day. That's huge. And I so agree with you. I'm just teaching a workshop right now. And one of the things that I teach in it is that there's emotions. And I look at at emotions as we, we create our emotions through what we think. And I believe that's always true. But we also have what I like to call mood. And I'm like, your mood is created by lots of different things. Your mood is created by how much sleep you have. That's huge. It's created by your hormonal state. It's created by how much trauma you've experienced and what you've done with that trauma and how you've processed that trauma. It's also circumstantial. So like, it can be like what's going on in your household. It can be what's going on in the world. It can be all of those things. And that's like your mood. And so that's sort of like when you wake up and you're like, I don't know why I'm in a bad mood, but I'm in a bad mood. That's your mood. But then you take that bad mood and you set it next to whatever emotion you decided to have from your thoughts. I mean, I'm making this very secular. It isn't. But then what happens is it's like an exponent. So like that exponent might normally be a one. So you feel annoyed. A one, you get it, you know, with an exponent of one, and you're like, it's not that bad. It's totally manageable. But then on the day when your mood is like an exponent of 10, now that same thing happens, that same emotion happens, but now it's times 10. Well, It's really like 10 times itself. And so that's what you experience. And that's why sometimes your emotional experience is totally fine. And sometimes your emotional experience is like this huge roller coaster. And sleep is such a huge part of that. And even like when I was pregnant with my second and then I had him and then I wasn't sleeping because he didn't sleep. Like he, it just, I don't even know. I wish I would have had somebody like you in my life or like anybody actually to be able to help me with that. But he just nursed all the time. And then when he would sleep, he would only sleep for like an hour. And so like there was no sleep happening. And it's just the catalyst of me having a complete mental breakdown. Yeah. I think we all get there too as new moms. It's like, I remember so clearly sitting on the floor in my living room crying, being like, I think we made a mistake. I don't know that this was a good idea. Like total postpartum hormone, lack of sleep. What were we thinking? (laughs) Life was so much easier a couple of weeks ago. (laughs) The baby back where it came from. Totally. And you know, a lot of what you're alluding to um, in my world is called disconnection syndrome. So normally our prefrontal cortex is connected very strongly to the amygdala and the amygdala is that emotional processing center of the brain. Prefrontal cortex helps us make decisions, think ahead, plan, think about thinking all the things that 
help us manage our emotional life, right? But when we have not enough sleep or there's a lot of inflammation in our body, either due to eating a lot of processed foods or eating in a way that disrupts our sleep or not managing our stress, it actually breaks that connection and takes the prefrontal cortex offline. So it's no longer our rational brain being able to make decisions for us, but allowing the emotions of the amygdala to run the show. And it just feels so out of control. And another like really good analogy that I have heard and I've never forgotten is something that sleep does for us is if you think about, do you remember on the playground, they had those old fashioned teeter totters where it was like the wood plank. And if someone got off one end, you'd like slam into the ground. (laughs) I like to think of one of those ends as fight or flight, cortisol, stress, worry, overwhelm, and the other end as rest, digest, relax, restore. Ideally, we want to be standing in the middle of the teeter-totter surfing, meaning you dip a little bit into fight or flight, and then you're able to dip a little bit into that relaxation because we want our brains to be alert and focused. That's a bit of the fight or flight, but we want to be able to pull out of that. But when we don't sleep, what happens is we slam to the ground, just like if our friend got off the other end (laughs) and we get stuck in fight or flight. And that engages all of our emotions in an entirely different way. And it just drains our energy. And what allows us to be able to surf that teeter-totter between resting and between focus is sleep. And without that, we get lodged in one side or the other where we completely lose motivation. We don't have any energy for everything. Everything is too like calm and relaxed. And then the other way where everything is overwhelmed, anxiety and panic and worry. So I always like to think about sleep as like something beautiful that helps us keep in flow and allow us to dip into each area as it's needed. A hundred percent. And, you know, I think too, it's like knowing that sleep is not always the only problem, but it's, it's a problem that you can really grab a hold of and you can really manipulate with someone's help like your own, right? Because you're actually going to help people figure out how to get more sleep. So how do you do that? Tell me more about that. Yeah. So I, you know what? I used to always be like, well, health is composed of four pillars. We have stress and we have exercise and we have food and we have sleep and they're all important. I still believe that. However, after doing this with so many clients and, you know, experimenting with myself and working through so many different people's experiences, I have now officially decided that sleep is the most important because without having adequate sleep, we don't have proper decision-making everything else feels harder. Your blood sugar is out of whack. It makes managing your emotions harder. It makes managing your choices around food harder. You are less likely to stick to your exercise and you're more likely to be overwhelmed all the time. So sleep is the first one to fix. And also the reason I like that is it's free. It doesn't cost you anything and it doesn't really take any extra time to improve your sleep. So the first thing I always like to really help people understand is this concept of circadian rhythm. So it's a fancy word for your body runs on a clock, meaning your heart rate, your hormones, your sleep wake cycle, your body temperature, these things, all, all the processes in your body follow a clock. And if we want to optimize our energy, we want to be using our, our sleeping and eating in a way that falls in line with this clock. And so the simplest way to think about this is if we go to bed, and we wake up at similar times every day, we are using our body the way it's meant to be instead of fighting against it. So for example, there is a hormone called melatonin that helps us fall asleep and stay asleep. It rises one to two hours before we go to sleep. 
Ideally, when our head hits the pillow, we want this hormone to be well, like it's engaged. We have a lot of it going on and it helps us fall asleep. Now, the problem is if we're staying up really late one night and then going to bed earlier than another night, this hormone is like, I can't figure out when you want to sleep. I don't know when to be at my peak to help you out. (laughs) So we end up struggling with sleep and not having as good quality of sleep. So there's a lot of science that points to the idea of regulating our body sleep wake cycles is one of the best things you can do for your sleep. Yeah, that that makes sense to me. And yet I think that people are really resistant to it because they have this all or nothing mentality to their lives where it's like, I work, 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 work all week and I get up early and I force myself to get through that. And then I, you know, buffer in the evening and do whatever it is I need to do to get to sleep if I get to sleep at all. But then on the weekends, it's Friday night and they're up till like midnight and then they're sleeping till like 10. Yeah. I I read somewhere that it was 87% of people stay up at least two hours later on the weekend. Now, what that actually creates is a situation called social jet lag. It's when your brain experiences the level of inflammation and brain fog that is present when you actually travel through time zones, because your brain doesn't know the difference, whether you stayed up later or you actually shifted time zones and everything is off. So by staying up late on the weekend, it's effectively having the same effect on your brain as if you hopped on a plane on one coast, flew to the other coast on Friday night, flew back on Sunday and expected our brain to work normally. And what science has found is that for every hour that you actually stay up past your bedtime, it takes you one day to recover cognitive ability. So if you're staying up three hours later on the weekends and then get back into routine on Monday, it's totally starting to make sense why Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, I feel just so tired when I wake up, you're literally experiencing jet lag. So for me, and I know to your point that like, yeah, but my social life, yeah, but my weekends for me, coming to the realization of how good I felt Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday was not worth that little time shift so often on the weekend. And I definitely still do stay up on the weekend sometimes, but I'm always asking myself, like, is what I'm staying up for? worth the trade-off of the mental drag I'm going to feel Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And if it's just for Netflix, the answer is no. If it's for something with family, yes, that definitely changes things. But I mean, for me, the, the clarity and energy that I had during the week and not needing to buffer with TV at the end of the night and stay up late again, just to feel better because my brain fog is, I mean, it's a cycle that we create. So just by getting into that rhythm of finding that one hour bedtime window, that one hour wake up window improves your energy so much that you now get to assess from a place of a clear brain. Is this something I still want to continue? And if it is, you do. And if it's not, then you just know the trade-off, but you know what it feels like to have the energy. Yeah. And you know where it's coming from, Mm -hmm. which I think is key because so many, I mean, I don't know how many middle-aged women you work with, but I work with lots of middle-aged, middle-aged women. I am a middle-aged woman. And I notice like sleep becomes something of a problem in your mid to late forties. It's super fascinating. And then when I'm talking to these women, of course, I'm not looking at the biometrics of it. I'm looking at the emotional component. I notice when somebody's not resting, I notice when somebody is continuously filling their head with noise. Like if you are always listening to podcasts and you are always, you know, watching videos. And if you're always just consuming and you're never resting your brain and you haven't like attended to the thoughts that are going on in your head and you haven't taken the time to understand what emotional experience you're having because of that, it's always going to get you in the middle of the night. But I mean, 
I do know that there's probably a lot of people listening that are like, but what do you do if you do go to bed at the same time and you do get up at the same time and yet you're still waking up in the middle of the night and you're having large stretches of time when you can't get back to sleep? What's your answer for that? I'm curious. Yeah. So there are two big things that I look at when it comes to that. And these are just the first things that I look at. Number one is I look at what is happening with your food in the evening. So there are two things that can affect your sleep when it comes to food. Number one is how close to your bedtime you are eating food. So if you think about this, in order to feel restored and refreshed from sleep, there's a couple of things that need to happen. Our blood pressure needs to drop and our heart rate needs to drop so that we can start that restoration process. When you eat, digestion kicks up at a time that it should be going to sleep. Heart rate rises because you're digesting food and your body temperature heats up. All of these things are counterintuitive to falling asleep and staying asleep. You're basically digesting and your body is working on that instead of recovering while you sleep. So not only will we wake up feeling lousy, but we might have trouble falling asleep and staying asleep. That's component number one of food. Component number two actually has to do with what you're eating. So if you think about traditional Western dinners, it's a big pasta dinner. There's lots of rice, there's bread. So when you have this dense carbohydrate dinners, what happens is blood sugar goes up. Now, during the day, this might not be as much of a problem, but at the evening, there's a hormone called insulin that's job is to lower blood sugar. It's not working very well. And it, so what happens is your blood sugar stays elevated throughout the night. And what this does is it boosts cortisol. So we have trouble falling asleep and we stay asleep because our blood sugar is all over the place at night. So when it comes to looking at our evening meal, I love the idea of at least three hours before you want to be asleep, no more food allow your body to actually get into a state where sleep is possible. And number two, I always like to keep it a low carb or keto dinner. Now, this is not saying that I do this the rest of the day. I just use my carbohydrate timing specifically so that I can sleep well. So I'll have lots of vegetables and salmon or maybe a tiny bit of rice. You know what I mean? And I'll keep mm -hmm. it really low carb and that'll help me sleep. So we're, that's number one. I find that that's a huge culprit in middle of the night wakeups. The other component is the way we love to slam into sleep. And I do like to call it that because if we think about how our brains are going during the day, we are focused, we are alert, we're paying attention. So our brain waves are oscillating at a frequency called beta. And that's, we want this. We want to be able to focus on the things we're doing, but we also like to stay fully engaged and information coming in and blue light from our screens and noises and all of this stuff right up until the moment we go to sleep. And then we turn the lights out and our brain is like, you want me to sleep now? <laughs> like, <laughs> what are you talking about? And so I always like to invite people to explore the idea that alternative to this beta brainwave state, there's alpha brainwave state. Alpha brainwave state is more associated with that restoration or relaxation that we keep talking about that comes up. And it's not from what you do, it's from how you feel while doing it. So sometimes people will say to me like, oh yes, well, I read a book before bed and that makes me nice and relaxed. I'm like, okay, what book are you reading? They're like, well, I just picked up this great book on marketing or I just picked up this great nutrition book. And I know for me, like, no, I do find great books on marketing. Like <laughs> that is something, but I also find that I have a highlighter out or my sticky notes, or I have Google keep open. And I'm like, this would make good content. Other people need, or how can I apply this to my life? Or I need to look up this recipe. Like if my brain is doing that, this reading is keeping me in beta. 
Now, Uh as opposed to me reading, let's say a romance book or a legal thriller or something where I dissociate from my world and a to-do list. And it's kind of that dreamlike imaginative state when I'm dreaming that puts me in alpha. So what I am looking at doing in that hour before bed is I am looking at the start of that hour. If I am in beta, how can I create a beautiful slide into sleep so that the activities are progressively slowing my brain down? So I like to think of things like, okay, what about just brushing my teeth, taking my makeup off, putting my pajamas on? I'm stopping to think about my to-do list. Now I'm going to sit down. I'm going to read a good book. I'm going to spend some time breathing. And I always love that end goal to be, you know, that feeling when you fall asleep reading and you just read the same line and you wonder why you're doing it and why you're still trying to read, but you just like, ugh. and then you finally like, I'm going to put my book down and you go right to sleep. Yeah. That is how I like to slide into sleep. But the way we're doing it now is staring into screens or smartphones or Instagram, or, you know, think writing our to-do lists out. And then yes. we expect our brain to be able to sleep after that. That level of cortisol is so high that we can't sleep and we wake up all night long thinking about our to-do list again. We don't give ourselves that opportunity to slide into sleep. That's so important. And, you know, it's really, I'm so glad that you've shared that. And I hope anybody listening really like takes that in because it can seem like the easiest way to do it is to just consume until you fall asleep. And even if you're not looking like at the blue light and that component, just looking at the stimulation mm-hmm. is really important to look at. I mean, if you're watching a show and it's keeping you up when you really should be sleeping, and then it's content that isn't really necessarily what you want to fall asleep to either. I mean, like we watch some pretty crazy shows, you know, and I don't know that I want to see somebody just be dissolved in a bathtub and then fall asleep (laughs) and be thinking about that. I know. Right. And you know what the interesting thing about consuming before bed is that our brains are constantly having to make decisions on what we think about things. Do I agree with this? Do I not agree with this? How would I have said this differently? Do I want to keep scrolling? Do I want to stop and engage? And it's all of those decisions that are keeping our brains from truly resting and getting the restorative experience of sleep at night. So you're right. It goes beyond the screens, but I often will have people say to me like, no, no, it's fine. I can fall asleep with the TV on. Like, trust me, I I can do that. And I always love to ask or say, consider this. If your body is able to override all of those natural processes, like those, that blue light, the whole purpose in your brain is to make you alert. If you are exhausted and able to fall asleep with a TV on, it likely says to more how exhausted you are than the fact that you have an ability to fall asleep with a TV on. Hmm. Yeah, that's worth hearing for sure. I mean, I can't say that I'm perfect at that. So, I mean, I definitely take that to heart. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of people, you know what's funny? I always love doing all these little experiments on myself just for fun because I always think like, what would happen if I did this? And I'm never attached to the idea of like, well, if I do this, this is forever and I can never go back if I hate it. Like, Mm -hmm. so I just love experimenting. So something that I've actually, I actually ended up keeping, I started it about six weeks ago is I decided to turn all tech off at seven 30. And my brain was like, that sounds awful. Like that. What am I going to do with my time? But I was, I made that decision at a time where I noticed the Instagram consuming and the Netflix consuming was creating a lot of anxiety that I couldn't shake in time for sleep. 
even if the rest of my evening was relatively what I used to say was like, do nothing time. And so I committed to that. And I got to tell you, I had noticed such a significant difference just in my mental health from having that space from other people's thoughts, opinions, ideas, and just being able to like, maybe I'll read, maybe I'll have a shower. Like it's just exploring so much of my own feelings instead of being linked into others. It's something I've kept. It's 730. It's early. Not everyone has to do it that way, but gosh, it's felt good. I think that's amazing. And I completely agree with you. Like one of the conversations that I frequently have with my clients is I'm like, you want to be looking at the fuel that you put into your brain. And you've got to ask yourself, is this the fuel that I want? And when you're consuming social, just know like you can curate your feed. And, you know, like, honestly, I think there should be like a class on how to mute and unfollow people because why you don't have to consume anything that anybody posts ever. But also what is the fuel that you want to be using before you go to sleep? Mm -hmm. What is going to fuel sleep, right? Is Instagram going to fuel sleep? If me even like getting into FOMO from Instagram, is that going to fuel sleep? And it's so like, it happens in the background. It's not something we're consciously thinking about as we're scrolling through these things. And it's just so important to remember that you're still using your brain for it. You know, it's interesting. My mom always likes to tell me she's one of those people that's on her computer and her phone right until she goes to sleep. And she's like, but it's fine because I'm on Pinterest and I'm looking at decor and that's like my husband. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, and so she'll say, so it's not, I'm not stressing out. It's, it's totally fine. But the interesting thing is I read a book. Um, it's all, it's a, a Japanese book on minimalism called goodbye things. And he mentioned a, com- a, a concept in there called um, the silent to-do list that really stuck with me. And it made me have a really big aha moment about all of those innocent consumption things we do that we think are just easy. Like the Pinterest decorating thing is let's say you're worried about worrying about, um, okay, I'm looking at all the things about decorating my kitchen. So you're looking at all of these beautiful kitchens and you might not be comparing on a subliminal level, but now every time you walk into your kitchen, your brain has a silent to-do list of, we need to do something about this. I should probably decorate this. Maybe we should choose a paint color. Are we going to get a contractor? And it's not the to-do list that we write out for ourselves to do every day, but it is the constant, like almost low level worry that we don't get to shake. And I feel like that time before bed just contributes to that silent to-do list when you're feeling it, even with stuff that seems fun, looking at decor, well, that's just contributing to the idea of like, I should probably do something about that. You know what I mean? I just like to like, let's just relax and tune into our own thoughts for a little bit. Well, let's try to start with, you know, even being feeling bored. I mean, so many people don't have the capacity to feel bored and they freak out as soon as they start feeling bored. Well, and right? as soon as you start paying attention to the fact that the goal is to feel bored, it feels so much worse than if you were just to feel bored. To begin with, one of the things I always ask my clients is I'm like, I want you to do four minutes or five minutes of presence every day, where the whole goal is just to sit alone with your own thoughts. And the amount of drama that that brings up of just asking for five minutes where there's no input is actually one of the hardest things I work on with my clients. Oh, I believe it. Yeah, I'm telling you, I don't know that I've ever had a client that doesn't tell me that they incessantly listen to something. And I tell them like, but what if you just went for a walk and listened to nothing? And it's that's hard. Comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> but, it'll, but it's a, it'll it's around a you. Practice. Yeah. You know, what's interesting. In, there was a book that I just finished reading. It was called Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport. And he was talking about 
when the invention of the iPod, you remember the old iPod that came in the very first generation? He said that that was our civilization's first opportunity to never have to listen in to your own thinking, to have on demand a way to tune out of your own thoughts is having an iPod. Cause as soon as you put some music in, you don't have to hear your thoughts anymore. And as it's evolved into the iPhone, um, it was actually in 2012, they noticed a significant decline in mental health in teenagers because with the presence of the ability to always be able to check out, we yes. now no longer ever need to be bored. We, there is no opportunity for that anymore. And so we, the, the, the rates of anxiety and depression have gone up so much just because we are always connected and the discomfort that has come from that. When we ask ourselves to just take a break becomes so overwhelming. It's easier just to slide back into the convenience of a quick phone check or an Instagram scroll. It's so true. I see that totally with my kids. So I think that's so fascinating. Like they'll be unloading the dishwasher and they'll be watching a YouTube video. And I'm like, no, that's not a thing. (laughs) That's not what you do. (laughs) I was like, whatever happened to just cleaning the kitchen for fun? Like I clean, I'm a meditative cleaner. That's my thing. (laughs) Fold laundry just to fold laundry. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Listen, it has been so fun talking to you. I feel like we could have a whole other podcast on like a different aspect of things that you teach, but I just want to, first of all, say thank you for being here. I think it's amazing that you took the time out of your day to do this and to share this with the people that listen to this podcast. How can people find you and find out more about you? And what do you, what are your sort of current offers that you have going on right now? Yeah. So I do one-on-one work with clients, obviously to help them optimize their sleep and their food and all of these things like that so that we feel really well rested. So that's the primarily the work I do there. Um, but if you're just like, I like this idea of taking one concept, working on one thing and getting really good at it, whether that be my sleep or the timing of my food, I have a podcast called becoming limitless. And each episode dives into a different hack that really helps you optimize an area of your brain that helps you perform better in your business. So that's a really good resource there. I mean, but beyond that, I have um, a free playbook called 12 ways to biohack your energy. So essentially what this is, is the 12 hacks that I have um, ac- accumulated over the years that have the most impact on having my clients wake up well-rested and with a ton of energy. Like we talk about things like the brain waves in there and a lot of the stuff we've touched on. So if you're kind of wanting like a one-shot place to go with things you can implement quickly, then head to tanessashears.com slash energy, and you can grab that there for free. That's great. Okay. So we're going to link that all up in the show notes. I'm also going to link up the books that um, Tanessa talked about so that you have access to those. Tanessa, this has been like so informative for me. So I'm sure it has been for everybody listening too. Thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. And we'll talk to you all all, uh, next time. Okay. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. You can look forward to a new episode of this podcast every week. And hey, if you like this podcast, do me a favor and leave a review. When you do, it helps this podcast grow and it allows me to help more women just like you. And if you just know that you need help putting this all together, why don't you book a free consult with me? We can talk about you and what's happening in your life and put a real plan in place to manage the stress and anxiety for good. Just head on over to amandahess.ca slash book a call to set that up.